The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai hoki mai kia the Fold, ko Duncan Grieve toku ingoa. My guest this week is John Duffy, who, you know, and, and this happens periodically on this show, right? You're like. Is this is this a media organisation? He represents Consumer New Zealand, formerly known as the Consumers Institute, which was founded in in 1959 as a I think it was essentially part of government or, or, or certainly was state funded to to sort of advance the interests of consumers, provide a degree of protection uh, for for. Uh, the little guy against against um, big business and 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 government and uh, it essentially kind of you know during the the great sort of purge of the fourth Labour government it uh, it lost its government funding and and flipped and became a member funded organisation and the core of that product was it was a magazine uh, and and I think it's a re- really interesting organisation in that it is it's part kind of you know product reviews and it has a really robust process around that uh, which you can surface online or, or be delivered to you in your magazine so it'll just help you buy a better leaf blower or washing machine um, but it also has this kind of bigger mission which is essentially around consumer just protecting consumers from all kinds of different uh Elements of the you know, of sort of market failure. Uh, ultimately, the most prominent recently has been its its taking of the Commerce Commission's report into the the supermarket, the grocery industry, and really making it. You know, I felt like uh, John and, and his team have really driven the conversation that has made us understand. You know, we've always sort of known that food is expensive here, but. Yeah, the the story that gets told is you know, we're a long way from anywhere. We're a small market. You know, the the you get there are lots of reasons for it, but really one of the key one. I mean, those things are true, but the the study revealed and and certainly consumers' advocacy has made it clear that that's a, that's about excess profit taking. That uh, were that were we to have true competition here, you know, we'd be paying significantly less for for groceries. And he he talks about. That 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 study and their response to it, and and the, what I think has been a step change in how we think about, uh, you know, about the the supermarket duopoly uh, over the past couple of years, um, and and I think that basically kind of speaks to what what makes consumer really interesting as as an organisation that it's sort of half in the media, it's half in advocacy, it has this, you know, it's you know he he doesn't know. Give it a precise number, but the, they they have fifty thousand or so subscribers, and that 
would make it one of the most highly subscribed to publications in the country. And that's part of what gives it, you know, enables it to, uh, to, to fulfill its mandate. And you know, like, I think John is, he's a super smart, super principled guy. He's a lawyer by training. And, you know, you, I think the country really benefits from having an organization like consumer out there kind of essentially as a, as a check or a balance or a, a test uh, against, you know, a, a lot of what we sort of uh, we, we consume and, and deal, deal with as, as, uh, as consumers in this country. So uh, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation, I think, and, and, takes in all the complexity of that organization and this particular moment in, in business. So this is John Duffy, CEO of Consumer New Zealand on the fold. Tenakwe, uh, John, and welcome to the fold. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. So I wonder if you could start by explaining what consumer is, because it's, it's a relatively unique organization and it's in some ways it's part of the media in some ways it has all these other functions as well so just explain for our audience your your vision of of consumer yeah we are we're we are a bit of a weird beast um so you know primarily we're an advocacy and research organization but we're probably best known perhaps by an older generation for the key artifact that we produce which is consumer magazine so We've naturally crept into, over the years, naturally crept into the media space. And, um, yeah, we do investigative reporting and as well as research into topics that um, relate to consumer welfare and and, and other consumer-related issues. Um, so, yeah, you could, from definitely from one angle, you can look at us and say we're, we're part of the, the mainstream media. Um, what's unique about us, I guess, is we... We rely on our members who subscribe to us for the bulk of our funding. So uh, as part of the rules that set us up as a, as a charity, we, we don't take advertising because it would compromise our independence. So that's a, that's a really core value that we hold. Um, and that makes us different from many in the mainstream media um, where you know, the business model relies on, on the ability to, to take in advertising. Um, It'd be really nice to be able to take in advertising at times, and we we do get approached, uh, but we have to politely decline. Um, and I see that funding sail off down the road. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, just before we get into consumer, because I think there are so many threads to to pull on there in terms of it, you know, that sort of liminal space it occupies. But how, how did did you? What what's your sort of backstory in terms of going to it, and what was it about the role uh, that attracted you to it? Well, it's always been on my radar. So I, I uh, trained as a lawyer and, um, you know, back when I was at university, David Russell was um, the CEO of Consumer and he was always in the news, always advocating for the little guy against the big corporates. And, um, I, you know, maybe that planted a seed, you know, always kind of thought, wow, that's a cool dude. I'd like to be like him one day um, as a kid. And... Um, yeah, my first job out of university was I, I fell into an investigative role at the Commerce Commission and stayed there for quite a while investigating, you know, corporates doing bad things and misleading consumers um, and really loved the work. And, yeah, that's kind of the career I've uh, followed from there. 
Um, most recently, I was, I was the assistant privacy commissioner. Uh, so kind of branched out into privacy, which is really a, a form of consumer protection as well. And yeah, that's kind of landed me here. So in terms of that that member funding model, I saw a report somewhere that, that said you had 100,000 members in 2016. Is, is that accurate or, or can you provide a... You know, have you, do you make public the, the current sort of situation? That that wouldn't be members. That would be what we call supporters. So that's not sure. necessarily someone who's paying us money to subscribe to get behind our paywall or um, purchase the magazine. That is someone who's, I know, signed up to receive information from us or might have made a donation or answered a survey or something like that. We're probably more accurately around half that in terms of paying members. Which is still pretty extraordinary when you think about, you know, the you know, the Herald recently celebrated a hundred thousand digital subscribers. That's to you know one of you know, probably the most prominent uh, daily newspaper in the country. And you know, consumer off to one side. Obviously, a completely different business model. But it's this it's relatively low profile in some respects. Certainly, the, the sort of media aspect of it. Mm. But to have such a you know that would put you very high up in terms of if you were to think of it as a magazine do you you know do, does that provide enough to do all that you sort you know to, to sort of fulfill that scope or, or and is it stable like do, or, or you know how, how, how are you tracking yeah those are great questions so short answer no it doesn't provide enough so we we have to diversify our income streams um, and it's declining so we we have a very loyal um, subscriber base, but they skew older, and um, you know, particularly in times like these, um, when people you know might be retired and on fixed incomes, and the price of doing anything is increasing, uh, people go, well, what 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 spend can I justify? What spend can't I? And you know, we get lots of um, emails from from our members going, oh, look, I've supported you for thirty years, love to stick around, but actually, I've got to. I don't know, I've got to put food on the table, I've got to pay the power bill or whatever it is. And when we, that's fine. People stay on as a supporter and stay in touch with us, but they're just not paying us money. Um, so we need to we need to grow other revenue streams to keep doing what we're doing. And, um, you know, that's not easy. We're out there like many other charities in New Zealand trying to find money to do good things to help people. And, um, yeah, particularly in, in the current economic climate, it's it's challenging. I guess there's an irony or a tension in that, like a moment like this, people sort of need, you know, they're, they're, there's extreme vulnerability in a high inflation environment. Uh, the advocacy work that you do and that sort of watchdog element of your work is more necessary than, than ever, but at the same time, the squeeze is on to finances, you know, which is the thing that you need to scrutinize. You can see how that, that's a. Um, a pretty tense situation. Has there ever been or, or any thought to, because historically the Consumers Institute was government funded mm-hmm. before it was sort of liberated from that and, and the, by the fourth slashed, Labor government. Depending on, your, depending on your point of view. Yeah. 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 You know, would you, and it's sort of not completely dissimilar to things like the Drug Foundation or these other kind of uh, not-for-profit quasi, you know, sort of NGO-type institutions that the country sort of needs to operate, but this one just happens to not uh, have that kind of stable funding. Would, would Have you sort of thought to or approached the government about well, rekindling we, that? So we do work with government 
for on on ad hoc projects, right? So um, people might be familiar with uh, the sunscreen testing that we do every year, and we've had a long running campaign to get better regulation around sunscreen in New Zealand. Well, the Ministry of of Health provide us with some seed funding to support some of that um, testing every year. So that's an example of yeah, some government funding, but it's very project specific. There's no uh, there's no general fund that says go out there and advocate for consumers. And that's actually increasingly problematic, um, particularly under this government, where um, there's been a really ambitious program of consumer-related law reform, uh, which has kept officials up at night sweating. And, you know, policy shops, you know, particularly places like MB and Ministry for the Environment, various, um, various other places, are working extremely hard and producing huge amounts of work, and we will then be approached saying, "Hey, can you can you provide a consumer lens to this this piece of work, this 120 page white paper on a quite a niche issue? Can you can you please contribute to this?" Or, and you know, we have a small team, and we you know the grim reality is we need to prioritise what we can invest our resource in, and sometimes um, important work has to fall by the wayside because it's trumped by other work and. Um, that's really regrettable because the a genuine independent consumer voice is then not brought into the submission process, which can then subsequently result in bad law. Yeah, I can I can imagine that. I mean, for for all that you have, it, it has felt like I mean, consumers always been part of the the national conversation, but I feel like over the past couple of years since you've taken over, the the it, you can just sort of really hear it. I think the the supermarket conversation which you know no one's ever loved the duopoly or or any kind of a duopoly but the the sort of it feels like the the public understanding of what we deal with from you know their role in in our sort of food supply chain has been reframed in quite a radical and 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 it feels like a long-lasting way and that there will be kind of legislative change as a result do you want to talk about that campaign about you know, what animated it and, and how you think it's gone? Well, well, it's been a real journey and it's not, it hasn't been a particularly easy one, but there's, so, you know, for, for many years, Consumer NZ has been sitting here going, there's, some, there's something wrong here, you know, for, for 20 years, literally since the duopoly formed um, when the last, you know, the, like the last third, I think it was Food Town, was gobbled up by Progressive, which then became Woolworths, um, forming a duopoly. Um, things have progressively been going poorly for consumers and actually suppliers, um, with the duopoly sitting in the middle, able to clip the ticket at both ends. And, you know, we have we pushed and pushed and pushed for, for regulation. Um, finally... Um, this government uh, relented and said, okay, we'll get the Commerce Commission to do a market study, which was a great result. The Commerce Commission did a very, very good piece of work uh, and formed an evidence base, which meant organisations like us or like the Food and Grocery Council could then go, okay, an independent body's gone out and they've established this and it's it's robust in economic terms. Actually, yeah, we have been being ripped off for a number of years and, and you know, there's a profitability measure that the supermarkets debate, but... 
it's out there. It's, you know, a million dollars plus a day, at least at the point in time the commission released its findings. And I think boiling it, boiling what is quite a complex competition issue down to simple metrics like these guys are able to do this and able to profit to this extent a million dollars a day that New Zealanders shouldn't be paying because that's an excess profit, right? Like I feel sorry. like sometimes people are like, oh, that's a, that's a big number. And then you look at the bank's profitability and it sort of seems to dwarf it. But th- these are sort of excess profits that beyond what would happen in any kind of similar market. In a, yeah, in a, in a genuinely competitive market. Um, and it, it, that really simplified it for people, I think. And we finally had a, um, I guess, not vindication, but we we had like a clear bit of evidence we could go, well, that funkiness that we were pointing to for the last 20 years, actually, it's true. And here's what we think you should do about it. And that meant the conversation could move on to solutions because it wasn't, there was no argument there was something going wrong anymore that would move beyond that. And it's very interesting to see the, the, the response of the supermarkets. I think um, certainly um, Woolworths, the owns Countdown, um, have been through this in Australia. So they've been, I think, much more... Um, approachable and welcoming, not welcoming, uh, welcoming is the wrong word, but um, <laughs> amenable to the changes that need to make, need to be made. Whereas foodstuffs, from my perspective, are probably still going, well, we might be able to fight this or uh, we can minimise, we can minimise what we need to do to the greatest extent. You know, and I, I think we're past that. I think actually, given what's happening in society at the moment, you know, supermarkets are c- certainly have played a role in um, what we're experiencing now with the cost of living. It's not necessarily exclusively their fault, but they've contributed to it and they need to face up to that, in, in my opinion. Do, do you, are you confident that now that we have moved on to this next stage of the, the conversation and it is more of a regulatory response era rather than you know that, that sort of ineffable kind of can we diagnose the problem, that, you know, that the... Meaningful change is going to come. I, I was just texted a, a an image from my my wife of, of six long cheese rolls at Countdown for six dollars twenty, which vibes like a near tripling of, of a plausible price from like five years ago. Just just one data point, and we're all surrounded by it all the time. So because you can, on one hand, yes, Countdown have you know been been more. Uh, Sort of open with this that there's there's discussion about you know the sort of decoupling of wholesale from retail and, and or, or creating access there, bringing a third party in. It still feels sort of vulnerable to our term cycles and the, just the vagaries of politics. How, how confident are you that one day that that excess profit will come down to, to and, and have a meaningful benefit to, to New Zealand consumers? Well, I think the only thing that's really going to change the duopoly's ability to do what they're doing is a new entrant coming into the market. And we've seen already, I think RNZ did a did a study that we um, commented on around the Costco effect with Costco opening in uh, Auckland. You know, there's some pack and saves around that region of Auckland and um, comparable prices they've changed when compared to to other pack and save. So there's an immediate impact that competition brings. And what the government's doing, the, the, the pathway that they've laid out, is moving some of those big roadblocks out of the way so that the market can do 
good things that markets do when they work right, and that's put, put competitive pressure on the participants in that market to lower prices. And you know that's all we really want. We don't. We're not looking for anyone to be punished or um, uh, scapegoated or anything like that. We just want a fair deal for New Zealanders. And, and at the moment, the market conditions uh, rely on the super, the benevolence of the duopoly. They don't. There's no. There's no big stick, whether it's natural market forces or regulation. But the the pathway that the government's on. There's no perfect solution here. It's always going to be it's always going to be really messy because you're under you're unwinding twenty years of um, duopoly power and you know for all with all all the best public will expressed profit making entities naturally don't want to give up profit right that's that's really an anathema to why they exist so um, without without good regulation nothing's going to change so good regulation should lead to new entry and new entry should lead to better competition and better prices and better service, actually, because that's the other thing that the Commerce Commission's inquiry highlighted. Us, the supermarkets we have in New Zealand, and you just need to go overseas and shop elsewhere, in terms of, you know, uh, the technology that's deployed in supermarkets, range, all that sort of stuff, we're a long way behind. And in fact, things have got worse in the last year in terms of range as... um, you know, you just need to go to a foodstuff supermarket and and note the um, the prevalence of home brands at the expense of other um, competing brands. Sure, um, foodstuffs have have done um, what are the, what is the one called the price rollback or price freeze? One or the other, and um, are offering better prices, but those are predominantly on their home brands, right? And let, let's remember. They're saying, "Hey, supply costs have gone up. That's why things are getting more expensive." Well, they're actually the supplier in that in those examples, right? They they control most of the supply chain, right through to your shopping baskets. So, um, they're they're clipping the ticket everywhere. Do you see another sector? Or you know, when when you're looking at your sort of bodies of work, which are invariably complex undertakings, and you have to be choosy. What, what sort of where are you going next? And what's the sort of the process around like? You know, it's a very different media environment to the one in which you know the Consumers Institute historically operated. You know, is is sort of campaigning different now? Oh, absolutely. And we've, you know, I've I've spent a lot of my time as CEO, kind of growing, beefing up our ability to run campaigns. And I have um, an amazing campaigns and advocacy team led by uh, Gemma Rasmussen and and. Her, her team are weapons. They are they are innovative. They are um, creative in how they campaign, and but at their core, they are they are all about the consumer and consumer welfare. And you can see them visibly get angry when emails come in describing a situation where a consumer is at the wrong end of the stick in terms of relationship with a business. Um, and it's very if you know if you could bottle that passion, um, it, it would it would be an expensive bottle. Um, it, it, it's really it's really I'm very 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 blessed to have such a, a, a passionate and committed team. So, um, yeah, I think in 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 some ways it is much tougher for us now because there's we have fewer subscribers as we and we look we're 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 growing us and we're, as we grow our supporters we're growing a younger a younger demographic in that supporter group, but. People don't subscribe to magazines like they used to, right? It's it's quite a niche purchase. So you know the magazine, well, well, it's dear to our hearts and and prominent in our legacy. 
it's simply another um, channel for us to communicate with people to help raise their awareness or help advocate for a certain cause. So we we run our own podcast now, for example, um, as well as the magazine. We you know our website is by far our most trafficked channel um, of all, and 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 in terms of advocacy, we're we're out there. We've upped our, we've tried to up our media presence and um, our public appearances, that sort of thing. So we're out talking to people, we're engaging with people, and we're all the time we're doing that. We're we're bringing in information about what consumers are are thinking. Um, when we've upped our we've upped our regular surveying of consumer sentiment, so that we 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 can genuinely say we we've got our finger on the pulse of where consumers are in New Zealand. Yeah, you've you've gone through a, a digital transition, like the the I mean that that sort of online consumer reports space is is really interesting. I, I look at the what the New York Times has done with Wirecutter, uh, mm-hmm. you know, since they acquired it. Uh, in the affiliate marketing space, yet the sort of are you allowed to participate in affiliate marketing, or is that sort of contra your your sort of charitable status? Yeah, but and it could potentially compromise our independence as well. So we have to be really, really, really guarded around our independence. Um, and probably one of the more one of the more interesting areas we're in when we review a product, we might say, "Hey, this is this is the best." I don't know, vacuum cleaner on the market. And so we'll say consumer recommends this. And if it's a certain brand, well, we can be approached by that brand or we'll approach that brand and say, hey, if you want to advertise the fact that you are the consumer recommended brand this year, um, you can do that and we'll license you the ability to use our logo. And that's a a small, but, you know, it's a revenue stream as well. Um, But there are people who have a level of discomfort with that. I'm I'm at peace with it because I can see that brands are out there fighting for that endorsement and they're getting better as they do that. So, off, you know, there's an obvious consumer payoff there, um, but the line of sight of that consumer payoff is not is not completely visible to everybody. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O-Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You recently got into a, a bit of a you know a dispute with Electric Kiwi over your Power Switch brand, and which is another sort of again of these kind of long tail of uh, of other revenue streams. Which where where as I understand it, you you know the 
you ask that a brand pay $50 if, if a consumer ends up switching um, as a result of engagement with that product, which, you know, Electric Kiwi saw that as on some level that the fact that they have to agree to those terms to appear in this, you know, in this product uh, as, as kind of contra the, the sort of the kind of mission that you've been talking about. How do you sort of, how do you justify that in that space where, where you are quite, uh, where you operate quite differently um, or, or you seemingly there's, there's a lot of reticence about engaging in that way and, and others. That has been a really tricky issue for us to deal with because there's been a lot of misinformation coming out of, Electric Kiwi, unfortunately, and we've we've obviously contacted them and corrected them. Uh, or, you know, some of the factually incorrect statements that they were making. So, to be completely clear, the Electricity Authority funds around about seventy five percent of um, power switch, and that funding is allocated is is paid by a levy by uh, electricity companies. And that is allocated based on how many connections a company has. So the big companies like Contact and Meridian and Mercury, they play the lion's share of that funding. So for Electric Kiwi to come out and say that they're paying the lion's share of um, a power switch funding is blatantly incorrect. There are the 25% that the that the EA don't fund is funded through switching fees, and that is a is a model that has been agreed with the electricity authority and it's effectively a user pays model which says the company that a consumer chooses to switch to should pay for the benefit of this site being up and running and available to consumers and it's a very modest fee compared to um, what commercial entities charge and the bulk of the industry are, are more than happy to pay it electric kiwi has raised concerns and then they're very much entitled to their opinion um Unfortunately, the way they've raised those concerns has been uh, quite misleading, in my opinion. And um, over the kind of the, the length of the relationship with Electric Kiwi has really uh, made it problematic for Power Switch to cover its own expenses. And a decision was had to be made if uh, Electric Kiwi was insisting on being treated differently to everybody, every other player in the industry that was participating in Power Switch. Well, that really wasn't fair to the rest of the industry. Uh, Electric Kiwi shouldn't be um, allowed to free ride on what, what the rest of the industry was doing. So a decision was made to say, if you're not willing to comply with the, the terms, then uh, unfortunately we won't be able to offer you the service. And, and that's, that's the decision that's been made. Do you feel like the construction of that particular product in terms of that 75-25 split, split is optimal in terms of the way that it interacts with what is more typical for a, uh, a consumer-run uh, product? Look, the reality is we, we were on the public record of saying we would much prefer um, PowerSwitch to be 100% funded. Right. Um, the electricity price review that came out in 2019, that was their recommendation. Um, the minister made a recommendation to that effect coming out of that, um, coming out of that review. Uh, we support that recommendation. Um, however, that, that's not the decision that our, that, that our majority funder has gone with, and um, we, we need to make the best of the situation because if power switch wasn't there, consumers would be... It, it would be detrimental to consumers, so... Um, not wanting to 
dodge away from the question, but, you know, the average saving that we're seeing consumers make on an annual basis on power switch is $385 uh, if they switch to another provider. That's, you know, extrapolated out across the population or or the the connections in in the population. That's a huge amount of money that that consumers are currently leaving on the table because um, we certainly are only seeing a small percentage of the population switching. Um, So if we can get more people using the website and switching um, to the right provider, there's a huge consumer benefit there. So we wouldn't want to see it fall over because one company um, objects to the funding model that is necessary to keep it running. I mean, on some level, a $385 annual saving to another company that is ultimately also a for-profit and and can clearly continue to operate at that level does point to some of those fundamental issues that have long been touted in terms of the the sort of Gentile model within power. Is, is, Is that sort of next up or you know I, I asked earlier and then went, went off somewhere else but where, where would you see like having really kind of kick-started that conversation around supermarkets if if you only had one choice in terms of where you could do the most good by uh, by approaching a sector and and sort of really having this country understand the way it interacts with its consumer base where would you go it's a really interesting question I think look I think there are issues in the electricity market that um are not being addressed at the moment. And as we decarbonise the economy, we are heavily reliant on the electricity sector. And the question becomes, should consumers bear the burden of all the all the investment that's going to need to go into that sector, which has, you know, some of which is catch-up investment. So if we look at, you know, some of the lines infrastructure, not necessarily look, looking at the gene tailors. I mean, people may not be familiar with the kind of Frankenstein nature of the market structure, but there's kind of four components to it. Generation, transmission, which is the big power pylons that are run by Transpower. Distribution, which is your local lines company. And then retail, which is it's complicated by the fact that retail is actually sometimes owned by the generators, so they're called gen tailors, and then there's sometimes they're independent companies like uh, Flick or, or, or someone like that. And so, or Electric Kiwi, should mention that they're independent <laughs> as well. Um, you know, and it's important that that retail market is made up of people who, of companies who compete with um, the generators and the, and the big gen tailors because it, it, does, it, does, it does that good stuff that um, we talked about when we we're talking about supermarkets, right? It brings in innovation and better customer service because those independent players they still need to buy generation off the gen tailors, right, off the generators, and they've got to differentiate themselves from them, and they've got to be lean because, um, you know, there is the potential ability um, for the generators to cross-subsidise and um, prop up unprofitable retail arms with the profits that they're making the gen tail arms. Not necessarily saying I have evidence that that is happening, but it has long been a discussion point in the industry. So I think there are there are certainly issues that we will need to address from a consumer perspective because the investment that we need both in new generation and the ability to get power to people is is going to require lots of money. And if the market's not operating effectively, consumers could bear a disproportionately high portion of that. I think it's inevitable that power prices are going to go up, though. In fact, we're already seeing that. And, um, yeah, it is um, it is pretty tough for, for some people, which is, again, why, shameless plug, 
get onto power switch and check that you're on the right plan because um, because you could be saving some coin. So electricity, I think, you know, banking is often touted as a sector that's got a similar funk about it <laughs> in New Zealand. Yeah, and you know we've we've got majority Australian owned giants and profitability is an issue. Um, so whether the Commerce Commission would be keeping a a weary eye on that sector for for perhaps for a for a market study. I don't know. Um, the sector dodged a commission of inquiry, uh, or sorry, royal commission, unlike the sector in Australia, which which um, was subject to a royal commission, and that that had some pretty pretty interesting findings. And let's remember that the majority of the players in the Australian market are players in the New Zealand market, albeit under New Zealand friendly brands. So um, that could be another sector that's that's potentially worth looking at. Well, one sector which, you know, I talk about a lot on this podcast, I think about it, write about a lot, uh, because it is, in, you know, like the, the, at least with electricity, uh, with with groceries, with, with banking, there are nominally regulators or, or you know, there's, there's a framework in, in which they operate. With technology, it still remains almost entirely... And imagine, I know you did some some work on this at the Privacy Commission, and it is kind of listed as you know, it, it, albeit under the sort of data um, umbrella, as as something there which, which is is of interest to you. But I I sort of think about consumers of traditional media who are quite well protected through institutions like the Advertising Standards Authority, the Broadcasting Standards Authority, and the Media Council, and then you have the now far larger, far more profitable, far more attention um, and ultimately far younger um, in terms of the various profiles of the audiences that, that, that come through the various sort of social and search platforms where you, you know, you've seen places like the EU point to phenomenally anti-competitive behaviour by, by the likes of Google and Amazon in terms of the way they privilege uh, and present information that's also there's a, the reason why the whole world has been slow on this is a it's moved very fast in terms of uh, the, the technology and, and consumer behaviour and also it's ferociously complicated almost by design in some respects. Do you look at that and go, I'd like to get into that, or is it or is it just too too big, too too scary, and and harder to connect to your sort of core uh, abilities? It's. It's not beyond our resources to comment on, but it is, let's be frank, it's beyond the resources of the New Zealand government to do anything about. <laughs> let's be honest here, this is this is enormous. I mean, the Australians have um, come out and looked at fair compensation for media organisations when their content is reposted on social media. I think that's, that is a great uh, thing that the, the Australians have done. But, you know, New Zealand is a rounding error on Facebook's overall profitability. I think... If I think back to my um, Privacy Commission days and, um, you know, when the Privacy Commissioner, John Edwards at the time, gave Facebook a serve for um, its, its lacklustre approach to um, getting rid of footage of the um, March 15, the Christchurch massacre. Yeah. The, the massacre, we kind of looked at it at the time and went, well, if push came to shove and the government really, really wanted to take action – would Facebook even really care other than the potential domino effect into other jurisdictions? It, it, it wouldn't necessarily be worried too much if, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, 
and its various other instrument, um, um, interests in New Zealand got, got turned off because we we're a very insignificant part of its overall business. So on one level, yeah, it's, it's actually frightening that these companies have got so big and have so much scale and are so entwined in uh, not only our, our personal lives, but the, I know, the marketing strategies, the, the, the profitability of many, many companies, right? And many government departments. Um, you know, are avid users of social media, and you know the government's Facebook bill I, or Instagram bill. I, I wonder what that is. You know, it'd be, it'd be probably hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Uh, so unraveling that is is just a hugely complex issue, and unfortunately, it's you know it is really detrimental to, I guess, the robustness of our media landscape. And, um, you know, there's some really interesting comments uh, in the Stuff Me merger decision a few years back where the Commerce Commission used a competition analysis to look at the media's role in our democracy and, you know, concluded there needs to be a plurality of, of opinions in the media landscape. If we allow mergers, they didn't say this, but, you know, use the supermarket industry as a really good example where you, you merge down to duopoly or even monopoly, um, there is a loss of dynamism there that is really detrimental. And when you're talking about the media, it actually has a broader impact on society and, and, a, and a democracy. I mean, the thing that's interesting to me about that is, you know, when things are consolidating into a position, you, you know, we have competition laws and, and they can be assessed if, if they reach a sufficient scale where you have sort of found monopolies i think you know i think of search particularly where you know that that is search is you know the the scale of it in terms of you know it's 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 effectively a utility there is one provider and it has flow on impacts into commerce uh you know into into all all you know all other you know people call it digital rent um the, and and quite often you know for example a, a uh, spark might rent its own name for for from a search list its competitor uh rent the top position there mm. which again seems like anti consumer if you search for a particular provider the top result feels like it should be that provider and you know the 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 whole way that that is um, structured just just again it's this isn't new now we're we're sort of twenty years into to sort of a mass adoption internet and there doesn't seem to be any uh, major push to try and put in any guardrails at all it, it, it's uh, you know it it feels to me like the consumer protections that we enjoy with physical world uh, transactions and and services are just they're in no way uh, replicated when we take that to the digital sphere uh, but I agree that <laughs> the the prospect of actually wrapping your arms around it and figuring out how to create a body of work out of something where you know fundamentally all of the the work happens thousands of miles away in different jurisdictions and, you know, setting aside the whole tax part of it too. Yeah, I think that's right. It is, it is quite daunting. And, you know, a way into it that, I've, that I often think about is the strength of our privacy laws and the, this concept of consent that basically all, 
all e-commerce, all social media is based on, right? We tick that we've read the terms and conditions and we're deemed to have consented to our data being used in, in certain ways. And look, no one does. Let's let's be let's be blunt about that. No one sits down and reads their agreement with Apple or or Google or, or whatever the whatever the example might be. And and you almost have like your your phone doesn't really work if you don't consent. Well, precisely. To, it's, to, it's a to, take to, it or to leave it deal, right? Yeah. Well, so so the question becomes: Do you participate in society, or do you, you know, you buy a a batch in Takaka, put a tinfoil hat on, and just and and hide hide away from society? And <laughs> that lifestyle is quite tempting on some <laughs> occasions. But um, you you know, you, and particularly as as more government services digitise. Um, you, you realistically don't have the option of opting out and you don't have the option of negotiating. Um, but, but looking at our privacy laws, there is a way there potentially if, if, if there is a will to, to actually argue, uh, you know, when a dispute arises, hey, um, I don't know, Instagram, you have the, the ability to track everything I do when I sign up to your website. Um, you know that I didn't click read the terms and conditions and scroll through them. Or if I did, I didn't scroll through them to the end. You know this. It's not true informed consent. It's not genuine, yeah. So um, to then turn around and say we're relying on these terms and conditions that you consented to, that's a fallacy. It's a fallacy that the internet's been built on. It's um, it's all based on a piece of California legislation that kind of opened the floodgates and um, we're all, you know, 15, 20 years ago and we're all dealing with the consequences now. Well, I, uh, I mean, I, I applaud the work, the work that you've done so so far, uh, and and you know, it's great it's great to hear someone in, in your position uh, acknowledging that those tensions and pointing a way forward. You know, hopefully, uh, <laughs> the you know, if, if the lawyer in you must quite like the idea of using that that privacy law to challenge some of these seemingly um, immutable kind of uh, realities that we live with but um perhaps for for next year or beyond but thank you so much for for making uh time for us john and um actually feel feel free if you if you might don't mind to, to plug your own podcast because yeah I, I love the idea of that oh sure look um we we run a pro- podcast here called consume this uh, myself and my co-host sophie richardson um talk about all sorts of um we uh issues we we talked at you know, on the data side, we looked at a worm farm purchase that that my co-host Sophie made based on an Instagram ad, and we actually we tracked back through to the worm farm company how they had targeted Sophie, and it was re- it's a really really interesting yarn. So um, yeah, hop hop onto your usual podcast channel and look up Consume This, and you'll find us. There's a couple of seasons there. Sounds fascinating. Thanks so much, John, and uh, have a great day. Awesome. You too. Thank you. The fold was brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network. It was hosted by Duncan Grieve, produced by T.I. Butler, with production management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis.
Kia ora e te iwi, te ai he butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.